Yeah, a good example of this is with like basically building any technology, right? Because if you think of the technology itself as like the thing you're trying to solve, some kind of interesting problem, right? Um, take even crypto. Yeah. Like the problem you're trying to solve is this idea of like there's oh this this cool decentralized you know provably yours currency. Like that's a very cool problem to solve, right? What are the knockout effects downstream? Wildfires. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 365 of Whoa. Coffee with Butterscotch, Whoa. the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, I'm the webs programmer. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's May 26th, 2020. You. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity on this show. And we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net, where we have a new donation from Raisin, who says, Hello, dear Bscotch bros. FYI, your feed burner RSS feed seems to be stale. Thanks for the great podcast. (laughs) so this is the best uh, support ticket great. I think we've ever gotten because it came with it with money. You know, Thanks so for it's paying us to fix it. It's the paid support tier, so that's uh, that's a pretty good, yep. a pretty good deal. Best uh, way to report bugs. Also, is before it, we get into that, uh-huh. three hundred sixty-five episodes. Yeah, I was thinking one a day. Is, one a day. Yeah, let me uh, literally. If you then listen to one a day, you'd have an entire year. It's also weird yep, that it chronicles like wild. seven years of stuff. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. Because it was a week for seven years, and so then you end up with a whole year's worth of chronicles. Yeah, we're 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 just documenting history. You know, we've been through Weird. like it was before Crashlands launched. Sam was going through his cancer treatments at the beginning. Mm-hmm. There, we talked a lot about that. I remember we had an episode mm-hmm. called "Sam's Chest Meat" about like getting your port removed oh, and yeah. like yeah. there was, was all wiggly. stuff yeah. on it. It was awesome. Um, uh, we've gone through a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. been a lot of uh, a lot of political upheaval, economic ups and downs. What a time! Uh, what a time! Yep. You know, and we tend to not go super super deep into uh, overall world events, but they're always kind of like there and the you know lurking. Yeah, but we've also I mean, we've also been talking about the inter- industry stuff, you know, for the past seven years, so we can also trace like what the industry has been up to over that same time span. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's, so, uh, it's pretty it's pretty neat. Yeah, and we can also probably summarize the next seven years, too. It's like, uh, okay, so like uh, political ups and downs, economic ups and downs, uh-huh. speculative industry bubbles, VR is finally going to become a thing and then stop being a thing again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that covers it. It probably covers the next seven yeah. years. It's probably some, some kind of new crypto thing. Yeah, NFTs won't yeah. go away, but they'll become more niche and even more hated amongst those who hate them and more beloved by those who love them, and it will become – a pure cult fanaticism sort of thing. Yeah, but then uh, there'll be the new, the new hot, the new hotness, mm-hmm. the new hot crypto thing that mm-hmm. also does nothing but one or two people made a lot of money on, and then you know yeah. that'll go that'll go gangbusters for about six months in 2027. So mm-hmm. get ready for that. <laughs> get ready to ride that wave. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. So yeah, it's yeah. You can listen to one episode a day for the next year, and by that time, you'll be fifty-two episodes behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perpetual catch-up. It was wild. That's wild. Uh, but yeah, on the okay on the feed burner note, though. So, uh, you listeners, now many of you did not get the last week or even two weeks episodes. 
Um, you should be getting this one though, because everything should be resolved. So that now you know there's two you got to go back and and listen to. But we won't really get into it. The long story short is we use SoundCloud, SoundCloud as our host, and it's not a podcast host. It's like for people to be like, oh hey, we've been go check out my music on my SoundCloud. You know, it's like that's what it's, it's for. Amateur rap, I think. Is yeah, that's his main purpose. <laughs> and uh, and but we've been on there for the whole time, really. I think right. Mm-hmm. So we've been on there for seven years. We've been and, rapping uh, for about seven years. A long time. <laughs> um, and finally, <laughs> the fact that that's not what it's for caught up, you know, because like it makes it makes a feed that doesn't look very good in anybody's, you know, players. But it's like, but it, it gets the job done. So we just kind of left it. And then then it was too bad because because it stopped sending things to people. So we migrated hosts and now everything should just be resolved. Should. Should. Yeah. Was Is big, it? It was a big should. Who knows? Yeah, is it? Yeah, it's shit. hard. It's really hard to say. And I, and I don't, so this may come with some jank. As far as I can tell, everything should remain intact, like on your podcast listener, you know, like your history of which ones you listen to should be this because the IDs haven't changed. So like that should still be like, everything should be the same as it was as far as you can tell, except the the descriptions might look a little better and you'll actually get the podcast episodes. So yeah. Yeah. But if you see any Jake come into the, to the discord and let us know that, Hey, this is weird. Uh, maybe, maybe we should fix that. Uh, we've got a podcast channel you can hop into. And if you don't see any jank, uh, come on into the discord and talk about how yeah, that, that jankless your experience was, you yep. know, uh, well, there's not much going on in the studio to talk about, or rather, that we that we can or should talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is one thing I want to talk about that's an interesting industry thing that's happening out in the games industry, kind of a game design thingy, uh, before we get to questions, which is that uh, on Tuesday, there's a World of Warcraft patch coming that will allow the Alliance and Horde to play together. So I'm going to establish some context of what the hell that even means. Um, so the game has been out since 2004, and it's part of the Warcraft, uh, you know, universe, the Warcraft IP, uh, which started in the early 90s as Warcraft Orcs and Humans. So the idea was like, there's humans, and they live on this world, and orcs showed up, and they're these bloodthirsty, murdering monsters, and, the, you know, it's like a big war between the orcs and the humans. Um over time, that kind of expanded, and it wasn't just orcs and humans. Now it's like the orcs and the trolls and basically like anything that's kind of like green, you know, and kind of monstery versus like pretty things like elves and humans. <laughs> uh, so so over time, uh, that expanded more and more uh, to the point where uh, the when the MMO World of Warcraft came out in 2004 – there were two factions. One was called the Alliance, which was the humans and the dwarves and the elves and the gnomes. The pretty things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the Horde, which was like zombies and like cow people and orcs and trolls and stuff. So like all the things that are kind of, yeah, janky. Um, And so it was one of the hallmarks of this game that when you booted up the game and made a character, you chose, you know, what one of these races you're going to play as. And they were part of a faction and you can, you could not play with people from the other faction. So if you're a horde, you can't play with the Alliance. Uh, if you're a gnome and you see a, an orc, uh, you can't even type to them. They can't read the messages that you send. It just comes out like in garbled 
sort of translated gibberish. Um, you can't uh, join a party with them. And in some cases, if you played on a, on a PvP server, player versus player, then if you saw them out in the world, you could kill them and they could kill you. Um, so it's like it was like a, an openly hostile kind of like relationship uh, between the alliance and the horde. And so that's been one of the hallmarks of the game now and of the entire IP for I guess th- the whole thirty time. something years. The yeah. whole time, it's the it's a fundamental the fundamental component of it. Yeah. So so we've talked I think in the past about this idea of the network effect, um, which is what you see on things like social media platforms that try to try to launch but fail or social media platforms that uh, overtake the market and then stay there regardless of how good they are. Um, and the network effect is just that in in some in a platform or service that is built around social interaction like a social media site or a, an MMO, then uh, the, the platform gains value as more people are in it. Right. And it rapidly loses value as fewer people are in it, because if there's fewer people to interact with, it creates a death spiral. This is also why launching if you're making your first game, you're an indie dev and you are like, oh, I want to make a multiplayer title that requires multiplayer to be fun. Mm -hmm. That's one of the riskiest gambles you can do, because if the game is only fun when there's enough people 24 seven, because remember, 24 seven, right? Like that has, yep. the moment anybody comes into to play, there needs to be enough other people that you can match make correctly and get them to play with people who they would want to play with and have a good time with and so on. And if you don't have those numbers to do that, then even the people you who don't want to play anymore. it won't. Yeah. The game is gone. Yeah. So something happened about, so, so there was like for, for the longest time, the Alliance and the Horde were pretty even. It was like 50-50 or 55-45 in terms of how many people played each of the factions, okay? And something happened maybe like 10 years ago where um, – so each of the different races that you can play, who plays an orc or a troll or an elf or whatever, um, each one has some special abilities that actually can – like they actually affect how powerful your, your character is and they're all totally unique. So – like as a dwarf, you can turn to stone briefly, which makes you like immune to poisons and diseases and bleeds and stuff like that. Everyone's a, um, everyone is a unique flavor, basically, that has some impact yeah. on the game. Yeah. But there was a time about 10 years ago where um, a patch came out that really like really amplified some of the power of some of these abilities. And they all were on the horde side. Okay. Mm. So, so suddenly like the horde got really strong. And uh, any players who were kind of like serious about wanting to do really, really well in the game, all the min-maxers, they switched to Horde over about a two-year period. They started new characters or they they paid for a a faction change to change their like gnome to an orc or whatever. Um, And suddenly it kind of skewed like 60-40 and then, you know, 65-35. And by the time it – yeah, and by the time it hit like 70-30, um, Blizzard was like, oh no, we've, we've made a huge <laughs> mistake. So they, they tried to swing it the other way. And they, they, they amped up the Alliance uh, abilities a lot. So they were like really strong. But at that point, the network effect had kicked in and it was over. Mm. Like nobody switched back. And because you would kind of over, need everybody to for it to, you would need enough, yeah. It. So, like, you know, because also if you think about as a if you're trying to run a guild or something and you need 20 ish uh players on your roster, 
you're not going to go to the faction that has a smaller recruitment pool, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You're going to stay where you are. And if you're on the faction that has a small recruitment pool, you're just going to find that every week it's harder and harder to recruit because one or two more people have moved, <laughs> have moved right? Yeah. And so over, eventually your entire guild of 20 people will be like, fuck it. And then you all faction change to the other faction. And then now you maybe you were the last guild, the last alliance guild on your server or something. Um, and now the entire alliance on that server is dead. There's no, nobody's playing. Right. Um, and so it, it's created this kind of like weird uh, spiral. Right. And so uh, there was no amount of like game design power that they could throw at it to undo what they had done by creating that initial sort of like momentum into this, <laughs> into this feedback spiral. loops are really something, you know, yeah. it's really something. They're yeah. so dangerous. If you don't realize that you're catching one and it's starting to go because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's an exponential growth kind of a thing. And the, it's like there becomes, there comes a point when it, it doesn't turn off. It just is going to go right. Whether that's up or down and whether up is good or down is good, depending on the situation. Right. But, but uh, yeah, the, the beauty of them, if it's a, one that you want is that once you hit that point, you're like, fuck yeah, because it just keeps getting better. It's just going on its own. And it can't even be stopped. And and I think you can see this with like large corporations that everything that they do is like shitty. Like the products they make, Mm -hmm. like this... They're just like known they, as bad they companies just still, that do terrible stuff. They still right? grow. <laughs> and, like, and you hear about like how they work on the inside and it's just it's just full of people not able to do work, of people being abusive to their mm-hmm. colleagues and underlings, you know, like the whole the whole thing. And you're looking at it from the outside, like, how does this company exist? Right? Because like, they had a really exist. good idea early yeah, and they and got a because, feedback loop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They exist because they exist. They're now in a feedback loop where there's just so yeah. much money coming momentum. in that yeah. and so much momentum that they can just stay insulated despite how bad of a job they're doing. Um, yeah. 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 So these feedback loops are, in some cases, just unstoppable. Um, and all of this has kind of culminated, especially over this past year or so, because there's this there's this mechanism that that's in the game. It's just called the, it's called the Hall of Fame. Okay. So mm-hmm. uh, the way this works is for the hardest content in the game, you can only play with people from your server. So other people can't can't join you. So it's like very uh, tight knit kind of community thing. Um, and the event that opens up that content to cross server stuff is when 100 horde and 100 alliance guilds have cleared that content. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's a hall of fame. Once 100 horde guilds have beaten it and 100 alliance guilds have beaten it, then they say, okay, we're opening up cross the cross realm thing. So like mm-hmm. uh, you can play with people from other servers and still do that hard content. Problem is this this season uh, around the time a hundred horde guilds cleared it seven alliance guilds had no. cleared it <laughs> because there just aren't Whoa. any and like weeks have gone by and now it's up to like nine <laughs> oh, no. and uh, and and the last season was was similar there's just it's like a ten to one horde to alliance ratio or or worse right in terms of how many people are even playing and and able to complete this this content. Um, and so now they're so what's happening on Tuesday is they're they're finally opening up the ability to play with people from the other factions. You can join a party with them, you can run all you can run dungeons with them, you can run all these, you know, raids and do all this stuff. Um and and when they first announced it, my thought was like, good, right? Like yeah. this is so good, you know, because now you can 
you can play whatever you character you want to play as. Yep. Uh, yeah, if, if you want to be a dwarf that can turn to stone or, you know, whatever is cool to you or, or strong, you can go do that and still play with your friends. Um, and it's just a pure win, right? But my initial thought was also like, I wonder how many people are going to be mad about this. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, know? that's a that's a, because I think there's I think as a game devs like you get you get death threats for changing like the firing rate on a, a gun in a game like a multiplayer game, right? Like, oh yeah. yeah. The, the reaction, <laughs> yeah. the player reaction to to change is is generally very uh, powerfully negative in terms of like what you yeah. what feedback you'll get, right? Uh, people who like it thing. don't say anything because it's fine, you know. Um, Except in this case, everybody was excited. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I didn't see a, I didn't see a single negative comment about this because uh-huh. it, it's been such an obvious problem for so, for so long, long. Yeah, yeah. that eventually everybody's like, you know, I know that this is like part of the fabric of the lore of this game and everything. Mm-hmm. But this experience is garbage. Like, be, like, like having an entire half of the game that you can't play and you and you can't participate in, having so many people feel trapped and like locked into playing in a certain way or as a certain kind of character or whatever, just because of this like social feedback loop, it sucks, right? Mm-hmm. No, nobody like nobody likes it, um, and people do want there to be both of those sides of the game, and so it's just like universally across the board, players were just like, oh, thank God, like. For the health of the game, this is such a good idea. Mm-hmm. This is one of the only it's times like, I've ever seen something like this. <laughs> yeah, it's like when we got rid of daylight savings, you know, where it was like, because there's like in the United States, there's no position that a person could take that's like too absurd, you know, and mm-hmm. there's no there's no position that's so obviously good that a person could take that people won't fight it. Except for the one exception of daylight saving. <laughs> something, like, something that is such a universally bad experience for just, everybody. Everybody hates it. You know? Did that actually yeah. end up passing? Did it, was that a thing? I'm pretty sure it passed. Yeah, I thought it did. But I didn't hear anything after that because it doesn't matter until the next time it's supposed to That's happen. True. You know? so, yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not I hope so. I'm pretty sure it happened, but I don't know all the details. Yeah. So every, yeah, every now and then one of these things happens. But yeah, I thought, I thought this was kind of an interesting sort of like an interesting demonstration of, of how uh, these these little balance tweaks and shifts to numbers can accidentally create sort of a, a social feedback loop that you know no you like you can't design your way out of it now um, without some kind of sort of like throwing a, a wrench in the gears right in this case basically saying like okay now you can play whatever character you want um, and and you can still play with your friends, right? Mm. And like that, that was the true problem, yeah. you know, at, yep. at the root of the whole thing. And so now there is, now there can't be a feedback loop because it doesn't matter anymore, right? Just like break the whole, break the wheel, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's also so a reminder pretty, of like when you're, when you're trying to balance stuff too, because thinking outside of what, because I hear the, the, the levers have been trying to pull the whole time or like are trying to make, make sure that the characters on either side of this, yeah. of this divide are, Roughly equal, and then they just balance, keep on balancing the levers over time to try to keep stuff shifted to have a roughly half and half split, mm-hmm. right? Um, when they could have just decided not to have any of those levers at all to pull by just saying, "Oh, yeah. there is no divide. Let's just let's worry about other stuff instead, and just not do this, right?" And there's a lot of stuff like that that you'll there's going to be a solution like that that's like obviously fixes the problem, but feels like such an absurd like, such a path, shift you know because it's because here they're like oh we have too many players over here let's just get rid of the fact that players are on different sides right like that feels like a huge 
huge change in the overarching design and goals and like, you know, everything. Um, but in this kind of a case, like if, if you really like drill down into all the details about what people play the game for yeah, and what the player's experience actually is, and then it's one of those cases where now you have to ask like, is it worth holding on to this old design that you had, right? What is it actually just, doing? Yeah. What's, what's it doing more harm than doing? good? Yeah. Yep. Get it out of there. There's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. It's hard to spot. Very challenging to also pull the trigger on too. Cause like those are, Oh yeah. yeah. Those are deep, deep things that, yeah, just be like, yeah. what if we just, you know, undid the thing that is really at the core of, and was actually the driving success for, because that the fact that you had to make that choice made people, it's a meaningful choice, right? Makes people, seriously identify with one or the other of these factions in a way that when the game was at its height, you know, is extremely meaningful. There's a lot of faction pride. Yeah. yeah. Like people have tattoos. It's like a horde symbol tattoo, you know, because they're like, they, they, they identify with, with that faction or whatever. But now, now the, the, the choice is meaningful, but in, in a bad way, which is, you know, if you come in as a new player and you're like, oh, that's cool. I can be a dwarf. And you like make a cool dwarf and you got like tattoos and like a big beard and you stuff. Enter the world and you're just alone. You enter the world and you're what, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, what, it, what it means is you've accidentally just signed up for a single player bad experience, yeah. right? It's a different, um, different so, than it was back in the day. Yeah. So. so that's 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 not good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to see them kind of, uh, you know, take a step back and just be willing to just, you know, pull the ripcord on that and and yeah. just try, try imagine, something big. Yeah, I so. imagine the internal fight to make that happen That's, was pretty intense. Like, I wonder, yeah. like, how long, certainly somebody proposed this a long time ago within Blizzard, right? And I bet there's been some champion, there's been, like, a faction within the World of Warcraft team that, like, mm-hmm. wanted this to be true because they were just so tired of Yeah, I mean, there's been people, you know? Yeah, like there have been players who've been advocating for this for you know a decade. Oh, I'm sure, um, yeah. but it's only it's only been you know until recently when like so many of the systems in the game have just utterly broken down because of this problem, right? Mm-hmm. That you just you can't dispute the numbers when you have um, like the top. I think it's like the top three servers in the world are like 99 percent horde players, one percent alliance players. You know? <laughs> At that point, it's like, all right, we haven't we've spent all this development time making this entire half of the game, like yeah. entire quest chains and cities and zones and everything, mm-hmm. and nobody gets to see it, you know. And it's <laughs> like, okay, brutal. like what a waste of everybody's time, Jesus you know. Um, so at the very least, there's an economic argument for it, for sure, right? Yeah. Which is yeah, but, but you can see your, that there's so many arguments against that model because if if your goal is to is to create content that people get to choose to experience. But also to create enough stuff that people just have plenty of stuff to do, right? Then if somebody just if somebody just can't be like, oh, I want to go like play this other half of the game for a while, and then still have the same group of friends, you know, like that's not it's not an option. Yeah, they have to isolate themselves to, from like, their friend group. The, yeah. Like you can't just go experience that content. So like so there's a complete wall between those things. Yeah. Which seems extremely counterproductive to every oh, goal yeah. that you have as a studio to to have a game succeed. Well, I think it's a, I think it's just a gamble, right? Because well, it's it's counterproductive when it I mean when it obviously when it doesn't work, right? But I think 
it's the same thing that really can drive that intense level of engagement and identification on a player level, right? It's basically, it's it, a, creates, it creates tribalism. It capitalizes yeah, it on yeah. tribalism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is very powerful and works really well when the experience is not, like, experientially, if it's the same game on both sides. But as soon as yeah. it's actually not the same but game I think on both you already, sides, you, you already have problem. that. Because, like, in yeah. World of Warcraft, you already have that via the guild system, right? And it, which, which also itself could be designed to have changes to its design to sort of push that even more aggressively, potentially, right? Yeah, but, I think a little bit. But, but you've but already I mean, got it in a way that's a lot more stable and opt-in and less uh but abstract it's like abstract, yeah, abs- yeah. yeah abstracted tribes are very different than concrete you know like we one well, we can't well what it, yeah i mean it, it creates yeah that's it though yeah it creates a communication barrier like it creates yep. a very strong it creates a very strong other you know and people it's very motivating for people because yeah because <laughs> like pe- people people can like leave one guild and join your guild if you know if you're on the same faction and so that that sense of of a, there being like a concrete sort of like unknown group of people who you can only have like neutral or negative interactions with yep. <laughs> just by design, right? It's very different than, you know, just having people freely moving through the guilds system and stuff. Um, but, you know, people are tribal anyways, right? Like you're saying though. So it doesn't matter if you, you, you don't have to artificially, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to artificially create that system because people are just going to kind of do that yeah, um, if you create the tools for own. it, they'll just that'll just kind of happen. But but I mean, you can happen. still like go all in on that, right? Because if it was the case that like you change the guild system so that so that people come in in cohorts and just like are in a random guild when they start, and they're like, are, are and there are mechanisms around guilds to like manage how they interact with people from other guilds and blah blah blah, right? Like you can create the same kind of stuff, but in a uh, a different kind of a way that acts on a smaller scale. So you're not trying to like wield these enormous levers of like half of the world, you know, pull a lever and try to get that to work. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've seen yeah. these kinds of runaway effects too. Cause like Eve online is, you know, the open, open world sandbox uh, space MMO, which is all about that, like kind of sort of guild based tribalism. Cause you, you mm-hmm. form a corporation and your corporation, which is your, that's your group. Right. Um, can be huge. It can be 50,000 people and you can have alliances of corporations that all sort of are friendly to each other and that, and there are systems to support that. But that also has created this sort of runaway freight train where like there, there are, you know, there's like an entire, like 50% of all of space that is controlled by one group. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, you can they have the unfettered capitalism at work. Yeah. And, and they have so many resources and so much stuff that yeah. uh, they are absolutely bored out of their minds because <laughs> no, nothing ever happens. Like nobody can do anything to them, mm-hmm. but uh, the impetus is like the incentive is still on them to maintain that because they, nobody wants to lose their shit. Right. Yeah, so, so they want everything to be different, but they, they don't want to personally lose anything. And then oh, everybody man, else is also metaphor, you know? For- yeah. And everybody else is also bored uh, because they can't like bust into that area of space. Right. And in this little space that's remaining is also mostly dominated by some smaller yet still like sizable groups. And so everything has just kind of landed in a very static, unchanging. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, like we're like in the world we have, you know, like national borders now that that are fairly static in the long term, mm-hmm. uh, give, you know, give or take. Um, and everything's kind of locked in because it's too risky for anything to move. Right. Mm-hmm. So 
all of those things are those kinds of feedback loops that at the beginning of a game like Eve, they're like, oh, it'd be so cool if like people could like take and own like sections of space and they're like these big wars and stuff. But there is an end point there. Like there is a winner take all moment where suddenly the game stops being interesting. <laughs> uh, so pretty interesting. Yeah, that's why you need those mechanisms to break up. Yeah, that's why you that's yeah, why you need the anti-monopoly mechanism stuff, right? Yeah. And yeah. and the free and I think that's that's one of the that's one of the things that's as a as a designer, it's really hard to deal with because most designs of anything don't hold up to scale at some at some yeah. point. At some point, scale says, oh, this beautiful idea that you had. No, Garbage. right? This doesn't work anymore. And you always think that's a tomorrow problem. <laughs> yeah, well, and sometimes you don't think of it at all it's because true. you, you can't is. even imagine. Because, like, because so Eve, Eve Online actually isn't like an enormous, it's, it's a big game though, right? So, how many daily active users they have? Like 10,000 or uh, I think they now have like twenty to 40,000 daily players, right. something like that. So, imagine you make a game, and you're like, oh, we're simulating space, right? There's just a fuckload of it. We have all this ideas of corporate, like all this cool stuff, right? And and you have an idea of how that's going to work and like what the scale means. But then 20,000 people are playing, right? Just at any given moment. 20,000 people are playing. Like you could do your best to like do some modeling, do some math, like do, do some stuff to try to guess what that's going to look like. But you have no fucking idea what's yeah, going to happen. But what if they happen. all decide yeah, to go if, to the same place and try to shoot each other? Because yeah. that happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You're not, exactly. You're not, <laughs> you're not deciding based on. You're just not doing that, right? And, and like when we were making Levelhead, where we were going to have, where we have the the leaderboards and things, and we have the marketing department where you publish a level and it goes. And then we're trying to we're trying to figure out how do we make sure that people's levels get played if they make them, right? Mm-hmm. That was the challenge. And how does that scale so that if we have only 10 players playing, or if we have a thousand players playing at the same time, that still people play feels your levels. Good. It still feels yeah. good, right? How yeah. do we do that? And we did a lot of intense modeling and came up with a solution that when we modeled it, it seemed like it did work, like it scaled really well. But we didn't try to test that model to like a million players because we never in a million years thought that that would happen. And, you know, and it didn't because that's extremely yeah, A million concurrent players. That's like, that's, that's like, Clash Royale level. That's a crazy yeah. level. But but imagine yeah. like if if just for some weird ass reason suddenly that happened to level head, right? A million concurrent years all of a sudden. Would the designs hold up? I mean the infrastructure certainly wouldn't, but would the designs even, you know, like the way that the, the things are tuned? Yeah. And the answer is no, probably. But I don't I can't even guess how. Well, I think I think know? they would they would largely hold up, but then there would definitely be some stuff that we would be like, oh shit, we did not you know, think yeah. about that angle of it. You know, it wouldn't. It wouldn't like break down completely. Well, no, it's because some, it's something because would happen. Simple, yeah, exactly. In, in our case, the system, the system is simple enough, right? But if you go to, because it's like the main thing is just leaderboards, and then the marketing department, which itself is another single leaderboard, basically. Yep. So, like, it's pretty simple, but but most of their context where you have these player player interactions, and we have this global kind of phenomena, like acting at global scale, are a lot more complicated with a lot more levers and a lot more things going on. Like, you can't, yeah. you cannot think through. All of the implications of that, especially when you not only compound that with just the sheer number of people, but compound it with time. Since it's time coupled with people that creates those deviations and those feedback loops that just keep on going. Yeah. And that's the thing about the feedback loop is it'll just keep on going in whatever direction it picks. And if you're, it's kind of like, you know, if you're off at a slight angle and you go yeah, like you two feet, a little don't even notice. But if you, but if you go two miles, you're, if you go two miles, you're like not even close to where you're taking right? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's the same kind of stuff. So it's, yeah. it's always going to be to remember as you're designing things, if it if it involves people coming together or actually just stuff coming together in a way that isn't tightly intentionally constrained, 
then you got to do everything you can to think ahead to like, what does it mean when I 10 X this? What does it mean when I hundred X this? Right. Even when those seem unrealistic, because if you've thought through it, at least then you can work backwards and think, okay, those are the, those are the parts that could fall apart. You know, when all of this doesn't, we're dealing with this, with the game changer, with just the sheer number of assets that we're making, right. We're a a design for a system in the game that seemed like, or an interface or anything that based on past experience was like, oh yeah, this will, this will last us right for the foreseeable future. And then a week later, we're like, fuck, it's already like too hard to navigate or it's already too slow. It's already too whatever, because scale means something different now than it used to. And we're in that context, struggling to think through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's, it's even, it's simple stuff. Like let's say, let's say you've got some kind of a recipe in the game that gets unlocked by, by a quest or something. Right. In, in Crashlands 2. Well, well, if recipes can be unlocked by, let's say, like quests, or they can also be unlocked by uh, an achievement or by, you know, you just like find it or something, right? So what if you've got 3,000 quests and you've got like 500 research nodes and blah, blah, blah. Like, and any one of those could be the thing that unlocks this recipe, right? So you, you're, you're editing that recipe and you're like, okay, and I'm going to go into the unlock field. And then it's like, boom, here's 4,000 options. Yep. What's, all what the unlocks things this? that could unlock this. Yep. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, uh, so how do you <laughs> navigate that? Do you, do you have things sorted by folders? Because whoever chose what folders go into, you know, that made sense to them. Yeah. But do you know what folders to look in to find yep. the thing? Uh, or, or if you have a search box, you start typing, um, what if something is named slightly differently than what you think it's named, uh, and you can't find it, right? Uh, what, what do you do? So, so suddenly when you get to that level of scale, you need all kinds of ways to filter things and view them and compartmentalize them. Um, that's very different. Yeah, and you'll if you have this. 10 things, you just put them in a list and you're fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you'll see this with any tooling out there that's meant to handle stuff at scale. Um, where they'll have things like, oh, there's, you can save a filter, you can save a view, you can save a search. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that you have a search history of like the last, but it's also you can literally name a search and save it so that you can name this thing stuff that is relevant to this thing, right? And then now people can find, and and we've all dealt with this, like if you use Google Docs or similar services, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in our case, like running a business through that where we store a fuckload of stuff in Google Docs. It's like, you know, everything under the sun is in there. So if you Just want to find of thousands a thing, of documents. yeah, and, so, and like and, and a constant challenge or Dropbox is where stuff historically has been too, right? So like if I want to find, say, like an art asset, like in our Dropbox, not a chance in hell I can find it, right? Because it's because <laughs> it's all folders, because it's all folders, folders, and, folders and, it, and it's like yeah. and it's under Sam's organizational schema, which will make sense, but I can't possibly know what it is, so I don't know how to even start the logic chain of like working through it, right? Because historically, something like Dropbox didn't have good and still doesn't have good systems for search, for tagging things, for like adding metadata that becomes searchable, right? And this is why the focus in lots of these, especially newer things that are focusing on scale from the out, from the just immediately out of the gate, is everything is about search. It's just searchability all the time. And how do we make things more searchable? Um, and it's exactly that. This, this is, uh, there's the, the thing we talk about a lot in the podcast is the idea of working for scalability, but not scale. Not having scale be the goal, but having scalability be the goal. Mm-hmm. Because scalability then allows for scale, but it also makes everything else better. But it also allows you and forces you to think ahead to what's going to happen to the stuff that you make when it's not at scale. And you'll design those things better because stuff that's designed to handle scale is going to be 
more resilient, more, more robust. Flexible. It's going to be easier to work with, more flexible. Um, and then if you do happen to also need to deal with scale, I just hit my just hit my computer. If you do need to also deal with scale, <laughs> with scale now you can. You know, you're like you're the everything is ready doomed. For that. You're not doomed. Yeah. And if you don't have yeah. to scale, everything's going to keep working smoothly. And it's not you're not just waiting for it to suddenly hit that point where it crumbles. You know, because otherwise it does. Just I mean, shit. Just just this week, like my thing. My thing is uh, working on on doing so, like adding some like ability ability system for crashing two into the game changer. And there's lots of different things that abilities can do. You know, they can like do damage, or they can heal, or they can do all kinds of other weird stuff. Well, like, I should know. just provide some extra context. When Seth says the ability system, like he he's using the design. The ability means literally an interaction, just, right? As in like an action or an action. Interaction. So yeah. like. Picking up, picking something up off the ground, picking it up—that's that's an ability. Slapping something—that's an ability. Hitting something with something—that's an ability, right? Like almost anything that happens is an ability. Yeah. So yeah. it's huge. So it's it needs to encompass a huge number of different possible like requirements and conditions and outcomes and filters and you know like oh if I use this on this I get this right. All of that kind of stuff. Um, but that means that, so up until now, whenever we had options in the game changer, it was just a little arrow. So you would like press right or left and it would cycle through the options, right? That's fine if you've got four or five options. You just hit the arrow a couple times till you find the one that you want, right? What if you've got 30? Yep. Okay, now you need a drop down menu. But what if the drop down menu is taller than the screen? Well, mm. Now you need automatic ways for the drop-down menu to adjust its position and size, and then you need to be able to scroll within it, you know? And so um, sometimes you'll you'll make a system to solve a scale problem, but then that solution has its own scaling mm-hmm. problem. <laughs> well, they always so do, you just, right? It's fractal. The, you just got to... Yeah. yeah. That's the reality. It's like every time you, you push into one of these scale problems, you know, you're... You are creating a solution that sort of hits whatever that next sort of nth degree is of scale that you can foresee the whole thing working for and with, right? Um, which I think is, it seems like it's a way to do it. You just keep it keep it open ended enough where you can you can sort of grow the space. So you're like, wow, that's so much more space. There's like it's going to take a long time before we really fill this up. Um, and then, of course, inevitably, when you do, then I have to ask the question: Okay, well, how do we like? Mm-hmm. How do we do this again? How do we open it up even bigger? Uh, yeah. Oh, what I think it's fascinating. It's, about it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I think it's fascinating about it though is that uh, the sense of change on the dev side for a game like Crashlands as we've been developing it um, versus basically any previous game, which was that the problems we're dealing with now are are just essentially just scale problems. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels very different than the dev before, where the dev before felt felt more like it was a lot of struggle on like a, just a way lower level of just trying yeah, to get. Yeah. It was like all the details, you know, it was, yeah, all, it was, it was about all, yeah. Allocation of manual labor yeah. was the previous problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's been, you know, we talk about, you'd start designing solutions that put you so that you're, you're ideally, you're annoyed by things that you would prefer to be annoyed by. You know what I mean? Like your problems yeah. are better problems to have, uh, which, yeah, I mean, honestly solving like a, this, this sort of, scaling drop-down issue doesn't necessarily seem like it's uh, game dev, maybe, for for a listener here. But, like, the reality is 
that's what enables all of the dev, you know what I mean? Like all this other stuff to happen. And so it's, a, it's the way we started choosing our problems very differently than what we've done in the past. Well, and it's about, it's about cognitive load, weirdly, mm-hmm. right? Because like if you clicked on something, so like in the example of, you know, you click on a, on a recipe and you get a list of 3000 quests or something that yeah. you could, that you could select, right? Um, that technically works in the sense that you have the ability as the user to scroll through the list of 3000 quests and read through all of them and find the one that you want and select it, right? That is, it technically does allow you mm-hmm. to tie recipes to quests. But but if doing that is fucking exhausting yep. and takes 20 minutes of searching per unlock, um, then it's well worth it to take one, two, three, whatever days to update that interface and add different ways of filtering and viewing because you're going to get that time back just to me real real fast mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like within the next week you're going to get that time back um, then you're going to run into some new scaling problems you know because suddenly there's going to be way more quests and way more recipes and way more quests linked to way more recipes and then it's on yeah. to the next scaling problem but at least you've solved you know that one and it's it's always worth it right yeah and stuff uh, just always the moment it becomes interesting it scales and it scales a lot faster than you expect it to because as in it like it fills up. It fills like people up. People just start happens. using it. Yeah, because <laughs> like because if something can interact with another thing, right? Now you've got combinatorial network complexity, right? The, just the moment two things interact with each other, then scale. Now the sky's the limit. It just comes right off, right? The moment you create a new tool, it lets you do things faster. Okay, now you just have more of that thing. So now that. Created a new downstream scale problem now, right? Yeah. Every time anything interesting happens, the end result is a scaling problem. Every fucking time. Mm-hmm. And every time you fix a thing that sucks, what you do is now that the thing doesn't suck is you've created a scaling problem because it doesn't suck. So now you do it more. You've opened the floodgates. You've opened the floodgates. People, yeah, people so, are into it now. So, so paying attention to scalability is actually really essential to mm-hmm. having things feel good and be good and be possible in the long term. But it's really, really easy to not pay attention to because it requires imagine a scenario that may not even ever happen but that certainly isn't the current scenario where it's not it's not focused on how do i fix the problems i have now but it's how do i fix that while also knowing that this is going to create new problems later yes and like already have a plan for that in some in some capacity and that's a much bigger challenge yeah i mean we somehow like landed on like scale scalability just as like at the core of everything. Mm -hmm. So we've got one question, which goes back to this also. Uh, This question comes from podcast.bscotch.net, which comes from Chalosis, who says, how many engine bugs have you sent to GameMaker HQ? Uh, So, yeah, I'll say quite a few, but it's about to be a lot It's about to be more. It's about to be a lot. (laughs) Because we got tired of doing it manually. And because uh, our, yeah. sist- our our submission process was not scalable, yeah, it was all manual. And yeah. this is one of those where you're stuck with somebody else's thing, you know. So, so in the case of Yo-Yo, it's like they've got a, a bug portal where you can go in and you sign in with your account, and then you fill out a form and upload some stuff, and then submit it, right? Uh, but before you do that, even you have to first have discovered a bug somehow, right? So that you know what it is, and you have to then have tracked it down to identify what the problem is, and then create a new project that tries to only cause that problem in a minimal context with nothing else going on. You got to isolate Got to isolate it and create something fully reproducible so that you can hand it off to, I guess, at the time, Yo-Yo Games, now just straight up Game Maker, 
So you hand it off to Game Maker and you say, hey, look, look what I found. You have everything you need. And just of course, push the play button. Just push the play the button. Bug. You can see it and then you can fix it. And, and of course, as people who make software sales, we know why they do that, which is if they didn't, they would have far more bug reports, none of which they could actually act upon, right? Because they don't have so their So their way of controlling basically one of these scale problems is saying uh, yep. higher upfront costs for someone putting in a ticket. Right, which is to yeah. say, you need to provide a project, which is actually is a very good way to do it. Uh, because oh, it's it's exactly what they should do. It's yeah. just that they've made it everything about the design of like the engine itself makes it really yeah. challenging to then do all of that work to like to get there, right? And and so that's kind of the problem that we've been we've been dealing with this problem the whole time, uh, which is every time we hit a bug, it's usually Seth finding it in some very weird, very specific context in like the middle of a Crashlands two design thing right or like or whatever current game we're working on and he'll he'll find it he'll spend like hours trying to figure out what the fuck is going on and then finally like figure out where it's happening and then now he has a decision to make which is if i can work around it then who cares then i'll just work around it because that now now that he's already found it will take maybe no time at all and now it's just worked around that's just now an engine bug we know exists but we haven't reported because it's too hard to report. What if we? What what has to happen for Seth to report it? Right. Well, now he has to go make a new project, try to figure out can he create the same enough scenario? Like how specific is the scenario? Right. And I have to describe it in a way, like in a, in a fully detailed way mm-hmm. that's understandable. That has the minimum number of moving parts, but that somebody else could pick it up and easily understand it yeah. without having to reach back out to me to ask for clarification. Yeah. You know? So you got to do a lot of explaining. And in, in games, that. reproducibility is really hard because games don't, well, I guess some games more than others, but in general, games have a lot of stochastic kind of stuff going on, a lot of randomness, right? And a lot of- A lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts and a lot of state complexity. By state, I mean like what all the values of all the variables are at any given moment. Just like all the stuff that can be different in the game, right? If you, t- if you take like two people playing the same game, seemingly going through the same steps, right? And then take a snapshot of like what is going on in the internals of the game at the same time. Yeah, there could be like people, a million different things. They, they could be completely <laughs> different. And so creating stuff that's reproducible, and it takes place over time, you know, where people like put in a bunch of input. Like it's, it's just so complicated to reproduce this stuff. So the end result is very frequently, I would say definitely most of the time, that we, if we can work around it, we just work around it. And we don't even bother leaving a report because there won't be a point leaving a report if we don't have something reproducible with like all of the context required to explain. Because it would take it would take so much time. It just takes so uh, much time. From and again, importantly, from the bottleneck of our studio. Yeah. That which is programming. Which is programming. Yep. That it's never been it's only been worthwhile in pretty extreme cases. So I guess short answer is we have reported quite a few bucks here, but percentage wise, maybe ten percent quite a few. <laughs> not quite yeah. a few. Yeah. Yeah, it's the well, we, the ones that we've reported definitely are always the ones that we can't work around yeah. or that cause a big enough problem for us. You know, it's a cost benefit, right? Like, yep. if if it's going to take a few hours to reproduce this thing and submit this ticket and blah blah blah, um, uh, but if it would take fifteen minutes to make a workaround, we yep. make the workaround, right? But yeah. if we can't make the workaround, then we're stuck. So then we have to eat that several hour like reproduction cost, and then. Uh, and wait, and then also we also have the problem of of follow up, which is you know patch notes wise, it's kind of hard to decipher because we don't actually see all of the changes that come. 
into yeah. the engine. And so sometimes a patch will come out and we're like, well, is our bug fixed or is it not fixed? <laughs> yeah. And then we've got to go test it ourselves and sometimes to answer that question because like we will get to patch notes eventually for some of these things, but not necessarily immediately, right? Um, so And, yeah. and they, they don't include all of the notes just period, right? So as in like and, – and they're not directly linked to the bug reports. Like there's not – there's yeah, not because the bug tickets are private. Because they're private because you, you have to submit projects, and sometimes yeah. those projects can contain proprietary stuff, right? So, like, mm -hmm. we wouldn't want to, to necessarily be the case that if we submitted a ticket, then suddenly everybody can have the source code of everything we put <laughs> yeah. into a ticket. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, to, you know, to game makers, sort of the challenge. I mean, you can see what the challenge is on their end, which is like, oh, it's a significant. Tremendous. They have a lot of constraints. Right. Yeah, uh, and so you know, yeah, we have we uh, done much to actually make it easy to lower the cost then for us to report bugs, which is, again, is actually good for every, everybody involved if we could figure that out, right? Because their engine gets much more actually powerful over time and, yeah. less, and more robust, right? Um, it's about lowering the cost to leave actionable bug reports, right? Because yes. that's that key part. And, and, and like a company trying to prevent just wait time wasted by their staff on stuff that somebody could have gotten an answer for themselves very easily, right? That, that's where you see these like knowledge bases and things that, that appear on websites. Um, and if those things are designed purely to prevent you from leaving a report because they're trying not to spend time on that versus trying to maximize how many bugs are identified and reported in an actionable way, right? Yes, yeah, a little bit different. Which are, yeah, which is because you have very different constraints and designs for how you accomplish those two things. And most things just basically make it hard to do. And that's the whole, yeah. that's the whole thing. Um, but they don't make it easy to do the right thing. They just make it hard to do all of the things, right? And so that's kind of, and it's because it's a lot easier to do that, right? It doesn't even have to be intentionally hostile, right? Which is like, it's easy to feel like that's what's going on. But I think most of the time, it's just, it's a hell of a lot easier just to be like, well, we'll just require, a, like you have to literally upload a project. There's an upload button. And if it's not there, can't even submit it, right? So we just make it hard. Yeah, you just go, my basement is flooding. I'm just going to turn off the water main. And like, sure, I can't I can't take a shower anymore. Or can't whatever, do anything else. But, yeah. like, <laughs> but my but basement's not, not flooding. flooding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we're, yeah, we're, we're doing stuff that's actually part of our current suite of uh, projects that, that Sure and I are, are actively tackling. Um, and we have, some, we have some overarching plans here, but they get... They need to integrate with our whole everything, right? With the with the pipeline that we use, with our our uh, our collection of libraries and the test suites that we have and use. Because um, the end goal is to make it so that the workflow for having identified a bug to getting it into a reproducible test case to getting it to GameMaker to then downstream discovering that it has been fixed, like that collection of things, needs to be as just automated as possible. And we're, we currently don't have, we're, we're doing a lot already, but it's still nowhere close to what we really need that to be, to be able to leave all the reports that we want to report. It's just too hard. So soon, many more, many more. Soon, more. many more. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, it, as is tradition, what will happen is if we can easily report a lot of bugs and then we do easily report a lot of bugs, then we have our own problem, which is, um, We've reported too many bugs, and we have to figure out how to easily, you know, visualize and track what's mm -hmm. going on with all of those bugs in a way that's yep. useful and which cheap. is already a problem. <laughs> yeah, that, and that yeah, because that that we already hit that problem even at the tiny scale we're at. So yeah, that's one of those things that as the scale goes up, it's going to become a literal nightmare. You know, from where it's yeah. right now, which is just very frustrating. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to yep. be something. So everything is hard. And if you solve it, um, you just have moved the hard part to a new place, yep. you know, which is, you know, that's the Jevons paradox. Uh, yeah. Your life uh, is still better, show. you know, like you still, you're still accomplishing more of what you want to accomplish, but you do got to keep an eye on what it is you're going to, because if, you, if you're not planning for that, if you're not thinking ahead and being like, what does this reveal? What, what will this cause to happen next? Then, because this is this is where like the the true meaning of the Jevons paradox as like a cautionary tale comes into play, is when you aren't thinking about the downstream outcomes, because that can cause you to then do the wrong thing, right? So like the core of the Jevons paradox is the idea that like uh, when it's talked about in a negative way is like that highway example, right? Where it's like oh we want we want traffic to move faster, right? So we'll just add more lanes, and then traffic moves the same speed because more people use it, right? For that outcome of just moving traffic faster, that was never going to happen, right? Like you can't you can't you solve the problem in that way. But you did get more traffic. So if your goal was to allow more people to get places in the same amount of time, in the same amount of know. time, <laughs> then you actually did accomplish that, and you haven't created a new problem, right? Because that was the goal was to allow more people to move. Um, and of course you have, because now there's more road that's been taken so, care of, et cetera, yeah, right? But bigger parking lots, all sorts yeah, of yeah, there, yeah, there, there are all these other add-on effects, right? But but those are the ones that you would expect. Versus if you were like, ooh, we would have we don't want to have any traffic jams. That's the goal, right? Then you add, need add buses. Lanes. Yeah, then now all of a sudden, like you <laughs> you add those lanes and now more traffic moves through. And so now you've just changed the shape of what it means to try to solve this problem of having well it's traffic. also about it's also about being able to zoom out and think about what the real problem is right because if you're like oh yeah. man we need to allow more traffic to move through yes right? right then like yeah you need more lanes because traffic is cars right mm-hmm. but if you say like we need to allow more people to move through yeah right then then it's Take not a about step getting back. more yeah it's not about getting more cars through the system I think, it's about yeah, I think, getting, <laughs> to me the the big and, and the fun lesson from all of this, which we you know we've experienced time and time again, and it's it's sort of the point that you know even even a big success, which seems like it should make you very happy, will inevitably destroy you basically because the reality is that any improvement here, right, at this particular problem, this particular junction in a workflow or whatever, creates downstream problems, right, because of the scaling issue. So. You know, if you if you go from a team of of, uh, of two people and you're not having much success with your game, like yeah, you got a very particular kind of problem, right? Uh, but then you have a huge success with your game. Now you you still just have a shitload of extra, actually very highly pressurized problems now in other places, right? And I think this is the note, which is like if if it's the case that your your intent is to sort of like escape this, well, I mean, there is you can't. There's no escape. You will never there's not no, yeah. have problems. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you really you can't you can't be defining but you, your but you can have better problems. Yes, that, that's always the goal. But yeah. I think that's the understanding. It's like uh, if you if you ask the question like okay yeah, okay where's you know where's our current problem what are we trying to do about it Wh- and then the final question and what problems will this will solving this exacerbate because it always and do I prefer those something. problems? Yes. Right. Because if the answer to that is yes. Then now you're like, cool, now we can make the move, right? Mm-hmm. But if the answer is, oh shit, wait, no, Do I want that to actually, yep. let's, let's maybe go find some other problem to solve and mm-hmm. not this one because the downstream consequences I do not like. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you can see, like, a good example of this is with like basically building any technology, right? Because if you think of the technology itself as like the thing you're trying to solve, some kind of interesting problem, right? Um, should it take even crypto? Like, 
inventing crypto, yeah. right? The problem you're trying to solve is this idea of like there's oh this this cool decentralized, you know, provably yours currency. Like that's a very cool problem to solve, right? What are the knockout effects downstream? Uh, fuck, let's people go wildfires. Wild wildfires <laughs> make the world burn faster, you know. And it and it can't be stopped because of, of its decentralized nature, right? And and it immediately goes into like the illicit underground realm, like instantly, because it was very useful in that context, right? So so you're you're enabling a whole bunch of stuff, right, that you may not have thought about wanting to enable, and. And then you're creating these these new speculative markets that are that are crushing people financially, right? So like, so you could say like, oh, I'm just trying to solve this problem that there's not like such a thing as a digital currency, right? But if you don't think ahead to, but if you yeah, if you said like, if everybody in the world used this, we uh, would boil the oceans, right? Yeah. But it's like, okay, maybe maybe I need to <laughs> adjust well, this thing given a little that bit. <laughs> it always happens with a scarce good, whether it's physical or yep. digital is it creates a speculator. If it's successful, what success means for those is not, it's a currency now. It's always, here's a speculation bubble, right? So that was the only ever inevitable outcome of inventing that. And it may be that the person thought through all that and they were like, yes, I do want those problems. I would prefer having this currency thing mm -hmm. to not having all of those terrible things happen, right? Like, absolutely, that could be what Happen, but more likely the person was like, "Oh, I'm solving this problem," and they didn't think through, or even I mean, you know, yeah, just the reality is just that some of these things, some of them are so deep in a chain that you can't. You could think to the oh, next. Yeah. Oh, yeah, usually yeah, the I'm next level one or two should be able to necessarily yeah, predict. Yeah, because yeah. you can't necessarily. It's yeah, extremely that's hard. Whenever you track some of these, even like a, I, that's why I love some of those historical points about, I think there's something about like the size of the first rocket or something like that it had to be constrained by a particular tunnel that they had to get one of the yeah, manufactured yeah. parts through and the yeah. tunnel was built in like the Roman time. So it's like, okay, I mean, it's not like when you're building a fucking tunnel as a Roman person, you're like, but when it constrained <laughs> yeah, yeah. space travel in 2000 years. Yeah. You know I mean? like, How you big can't. of a thing can fit through this tunnel? I mean, well, obviously like the biggest thing that I know yeah, of. The biggest yeah. well, so you a, do, I mean, that's a great example of the of just the fact, as you're saying, that you cannot like know with any certainty what's going to happen. And, and that's the core lesson, though, is to anytime you're solving any problem, never for a second think, Oh yeah, like I know, I know what this is going to do when I solve this, right? Because what people do is they is they do exactly that, and they also don't look very far ahead at the same time, right? Is they're confident that they just focus in, laser focus on here's the problem, here's a solution to that problem, and I know, and once I've solved it, this problem is gone, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the whole thing. And then they think that that's all that there is. And even when they do think ahead, usually they still think that that's all there is. Mm -hmm. And I think that rocket example is a fucking perfect, perfect example it's of ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, sh yeah. Like the, yeah, the, the idea that somebody builds a fucking tunnel 2000 years ago and that constrains space travel <laughs> for 2000 years, right? That's fucking cool and wild and also horrifying as, as a reminder of like, you can't, you cannot know what is going to happen. And so that's what proceed cautiously, right? Mm -hmm. Proceed cautiously. The case. Remember, yeah. every change is also a problem. And so yeah. before you make a change, good or bad, yeah. take yeah, a beat. Well, Thanks. But there are things that you want to happen, right? Yes. Yeah. And you do need to answer the question of if if that thing happens, then what? Then what? Right? So so in the case of something like like a uh, Bitcoin, 
right? If you say like, I want this, I'm calling it a cryptocurrency because I want this to be a currency. I want it to be something that has hundreds of millions of people use to exchange stuff and whatever. Okay. If that were true, then what would potentially be the consequences mm-hmm. of that? Right. Um, and like, we're, we're seeing it, not, a, not a, as like, oh, it's a currency now, but now it's like, oh, it's a speculative asset, but it's still the case that it's being traded a lot. And so what are the consequences? The consequences are now they're like, I can't upgrade my video card. Yep. Because they're, <laughs> yeah. cause they're 2000 goddamn dollars. That's like the rocket thing. It's a really you know? good example of the rocket yeah. thing again, right? It's like, yeah, NVIDIA wasn't thinking, oh shit, crypto miners are going to like fuck with our market, our normal yeah. target market, right? Um, and gamers weren't thinking, oh, cause, cause a lot of, People in games, since they're paying attention to tech, they have like these big, powerful rigs and stuff. They were yeah. there were a lot of the early people into that space too, and they at the time also weren't thinking, "Oh, this is going to fuck my hobby." You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. they weren't like, yeah. "Why would you think that?" You know, right? Because it's because you got to you have to think so far ahead to what that means. And I think and I think it's one of those. It's a hindsight, so easy. It's all a straight line, you know, right? And it's all stuff that you look at. You're like, "Oh, it is obvious in retrospect that like, yeah." Using but, just yeah. sheer compute power to generate a digital resource means that you have to use the things with the most compute power, and therefore, if this thing is successful, you soak up all of the compute power. Right? That feels like, yeah. Well, well, and and more importantly, that that if the thing becomes highly sought after, then uh, more compute power will be consumed. You know, just purely for the sake of trying to get this stuff. Yeah. By doing, uh, and if it becomes exponentially more costly due over time by design. You suck up exponentially. Yeah. Then the carbon footprint is astronomical, yeah. and that's by design. And the limiting right? of the resource <laughs> for other purposes keeps. Yeah, I do want to say though that there's yeah. um, because it's it's well, this is all true. You know, at the end of the day, it's still is the case that two thousand years ago you need a fucking tunnel, right? And so it's one of those like, yep. You, it doesn't you, mean don't. It doesn't mean don't. It just means like yeah. just think at least just. Just recognize that you are never just solving a problem. In solving a problem, you are creating additional problems. And just think about what those are going to be. Try to think like one or two. Two, if you go two layers deep, if you could go two layers <laughs> deep, usually that's far enough where you're like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe don't well, and a more, maybe do it this way or don't do it that way. Yeah, and also more positive framing on it too. It's not just that, and is it basically because change leads to change is really what it is without the yeah. positive or negative part on it, right? Yep. And so, when you do decide to make a change somewhere. Not only do you create new problems, right? But you also create new things that can be solved that previously couldn't be solved, right? Mm-hmm. And so the more high level way to think about all of it is just that any change you make changes the context. And that change in your context propagates out to literally everything that can be touched by that, just everything, right? And if you don't take the time to really pay, to really look at the full context in which this change is being made and try to predict how that change propagates into the rest of it, then all you're going to find every single time is, oh shit, that was unexpected. And maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, right? The thing that you didn't expect. But you're basically going to run into something unexpected. Or if you don't, you'll not have realized. So basically anytime you've made a change and it like went beautifully and you're like, oh yes, I did it. And that was the end. Um, well, you ha- you just haven't realized yet <laughs> that that you've changed your context in such a way that there are other changes you should also be making to now compensate, right, for that. And it, it, may be, it may be that they're not, like, hurting you and it's not that big of a deal. And and that's all fine. But it's still – because this is something we talked about, too, in the podcast about just, like, your life, you know? So yeah. if you stay it's what life home is. because of COVID, right. it's what life is, right? Like, anytime something changes, you know, a significant other gets a different job. You know, you your kid starts going to school. You get a pet. You 
try a new delivery, home delivery meal service or like whatever, Mm -hmm. anything that changes propagates into the whole fabric of like your household and you're just every waking moment of life. And if you don't take a beat and step back every time you do that and ask, how does this impact everything else? Right. (laughs) Then you just find like, there are all these now, like it's almost like splash damage is being done constantly. Right. So like every system you have, every time one system changes. And if you're not constantly looking around trying to like figure out what that was, you got to adjust. You just Mm -hmm. accumulate large amounts of minor problems that, collectively kind of make things suck, right? Mm-hmm. But because it's a whole bunch of collective stuff, it can't even find the thing to blame, you know? Like, it starts to get really hard. You just kind of feel bad. You just kind you of know? feel bad. <laughs> and it's a result of basically making changes as if there is no context and as if you can make an isolated change without consequences. Again, the consequences don't have to be good or bad. They just change. But there are consequences. And if you don't adjust for changing the whole network of stuff that's connected to the one thing that you did change on purpose, then over time, your context that you want step. Yeah. Your context that you want has diverged. So it's like, it's again that angle thing again, right? Like you've just diverged over time so far from where you thought you were without even noticing it to a point where it does become a problem. Even if all those changes are good, you know, because if you're out of sync with it and not interacting with it by design, then it still isn't as good as it should be. So what you're saying is, Check in with yourself. Yeah. You, know? mm-hmm. you just got to, you got to just zoom have, out. Yeah. Zoom out and evaluate and course correct regularly. Yeah. Uh, otherwise you'll end up somewhere that you maybe didn't want to be. So yeah. uh, well, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.